Hi, you're listening to Afraid to Ask. This is a podcast where we answer all your prickly, embarrassing or controversial questions. My name is Helen. My name is Andrea. And on this episode, we're talking about other languages and why we should be learning them. To join us in our discussion, we've got AUT Language and Culture Associate Professor Sharon Harvey, as well as Senior Lecturer in Economics, Dr Rahul Sen. This episode was actually recorded before the election, which is mentioned a couple of times within the episode, so some of what we say might be a little bit dated, but still completely valid. If you have a question that you're afraid to ask, feel free to send it to us with the hashtag Ask AUT, and you may just see it as the topic for a future episode. Without any further ado, let's get into it. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? I say who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on first. What's the deal with airplane peanuts? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Why? So, I'm Sharon Harvey, and I... I'm head of the School of Language and Culture here at AUT and also Deputy Dean um, with Portfolio for Staff Research in the Faculty of Culture and Society. And I guess part of the reason that we're talking today is that I've been working quite hard with a number of colleagues to consider a national languages policy for New Zealand. So what is that? So a national languages policy would take into account in strategic policy discussions and policy formulation all the different languages of New Zealand, starting of course with Te Reo Māori and going through access to English, um, our big trade languages, community languages, the particularly parlous state of Pacific language education in New Zealand, sign language interpreting and sign language itself, as well as language services like translation and interpreting. And those languages would be considered across all the policy fields, from education through to health, justice, foreign affairs, etc. So, I mean, how, tell me, in New Zealand today, how many different languages are being spoken? Well, I think in the 2013 census, we looked at more than 160 languages that are spoken in New Zealand. Mm. Wow. And Rahul, you come from, you're not a born and bred New Zealander. Tell me a bit about um, who you are, where you've come from, actually what you do at AUT, which are two different things. Um. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Rahul Sin. I'm a senior lecturer in economics at AUT. I joined AUT in 2008. It's going to be about 10 years for me here in New Zealand. Prior to that, I was in Singapore and I worked in Singapore for about five years. I completed my PhD there, but I'm originally from India. I was born and brought up in New Delhi, which is the capital city. And uh, there, the majority of the language that's spoken there is uh, Hindi. Of course, my medium of instruction was English, but I happened to be uh, in my schooling from say year five to year 10 in a school where I actually had English as the instruction medium, but Hindi as my first language. And also, uh, around two years of that, I also had my mother tongue uh, being formally taught, Bengali. And as a result of that, I've ended up being trilingual. So I can speak, write, uh, and obviously talk in uh, Hindi, English, and Bengali. And uh, my daughter, uh, who was born here in 2009, is currently studying in Newmarket Primary School and she already seems to have picked up a little bit of Maori and a little bit of Mandarin, which I find it's fascinating here in New Zealand. So that's that's what interests me to, you know, get into all this discussion here mm. regarding, you know, the language policy. I have um, kids and, and my daughter, who, who is about 10, 
um, she has friends, you know, of Indian origin. She can speak, uh, count, and she wasn't taught this formally, but she can count to ten in Hindi, and she um, knows quite a few Hindi words and greetings, and yeah, and that's just from being playing at the school grounds, really. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sharon, you know, I mean. Language has come up recently in our uh, in the media. It's we're heading into an election, and it's become um, it, it's floated up through that election campaign. I mean, you've talked about it recently um, in media interviews. I mean, what are I guess what are the themes of those? What are your so um, very gratifyingly for those of us that are really interested and um, work towards a kind of more plurilingual future for New Zealand. Languages have really become an election issue to some extent and we've seen recently that National has announced $160 million for um, languages education in New Zealand and they they haven't really given the specifics of, of how that money will be spent but anyway $160 million of new money into languages education is huge. The other um, areas where we've seen languages hit the headlines with the election coming up is um, compulsory Maori in schools for everyone and that's a Green Party um, election platform and a Labour Party election platform. Both Helen and I did learn Māori at school, actually, didn't we? <laughs> I know, I, I, I'd, struggled, I'd struggled today um, in a conversational environment, but, um, yeah, it certainly, certainly was the language of choice for me rather than, say, a French or a German, so, yeah. So I guess um, those of us that are interested in a national languages policy, um, there's a group of us that work to, towards the Auckland Languages Strategy, and um, one of the platforms of that strategy and perhaps a national languages policy moving forward would be compulsory Māori in schools and that um, children would have the chance to learn and become highly proficient in three languages. So that would be English, Māori and one other language that would depend on where they lived and the choices the school mm-hmm. made. Yeah. And I guess the, the great question for parents is which language would that be, mm-hmm. that third language? Absolutely. Mm. <clears throat> it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because there's quite a lot of emphasis at the moment in the Ministry of Education on Asian language learning in schools. And um, the research group that I work with is actually doing the national evaluation for that program, that three-year program that the Ministry have in place at the moment, which is probably, Rahul, why your daughter is learning Mandarin in primary school. Mm-hmm. We are seeing um, language learning numbers go up in primary schools quite a lot at the moment, but yes. unfortunately, secondary school numbers are still coming down despite the efforts that the Ministry is making in terms of Asian languages. So I think this... Um, question of what the third language might be is is an interesting thing for the Ministry of Education to talk about and for there to be much more consultation in local communities because there could be a couple of languages available in schools and that might depend on the community groups the schools sit within or it might depend on national priorities for languages learning in New Zealand around for example some of the big trade languages and of course Rahul Hindi is an important language for New Zealand, but unfortunately we don't harness the Hindi language-speaking resources that we have in the country 
in our education system. Yeah, I think uh, talking about Hindi, there's another another interesting thing about India. India is a country which has 15 different regional languages. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Hindi is actually not a spoken language across all states. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at it from the point of view of economics or from the point of view of doing business, then if you're in northern part of India, knowing a little bit of Hindi is really good. But if you're in South India, it doesn't help at all. And that... Uh, we learned from our own experience when we, uh, when I, as a, in my childhood, had gone with my parents to South India, and I distinctly remember that uh, it was so hard to even ask for them how much to pay for a certain thing because they couldn't speak anything else except Tamil, which was the South Indian language, predominantly South Indian language around Chennai. And I'm talking about conversing with someone in a central part of a metropolitan city. So that suggests that you know Hindi is again very good for northern part of India, but again, in southern part of India, it's some other language which works. So India is pretty unique in that sense when you look at it from a language point of view. So maybe one language is not enough when you're looking at Well, I think you're probably India. right. Yeah. And um, just a few conversations with Indian colleagues that I've had um, indicate that their yeah. language um, education system is quite um, multilingual in some areas. Now, now you talked about um, learning Hindi, English and um, Bengali, Bengali in school, yes. is that right? Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about what levels you learnt those languages to in school? Uh, year one, uh, we did have Hindi, uh, but uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't learn any Bengali because I was uh, in Delhi. And I, I got my education across three different cities in India. Wow. So before I moved to uh, the place where I spend most of my time uh, in my secondary schooling, which is from year five, I was like sort of because of my dad's work, I was like uh, studying in Delhi, then in another city called Lucknow, mm -hmm. and then a couple of years again back to Delhi like that. Uh, so obviously being in Delhi, uh, certainly the medium of instruction was English and um, most of it, uh, most of what I was learning was in English. Uh, but uh, we did have Hindi as, you know, one of our subjects to study. But it was not really formally as a first language. I sort of learned it formally as a first language when I went into year five uh, at the secondary level. And there it was actually a very traditional approach of mm. learning Hindi, the way, you know, uh, it would be taught uh, was obviously a bit more dry and in some cases it was you know looking at a lot of historical stuff which wasn't really quite relevant to us when we were studying it was like more due to okay you just have to pass this paper so you have to study this it was mm -hmm. something like that uh, so in that sense i would say that uh, we did have uh, a lot we did learn a lot more than a simple working language in hindi Right. Uh, and uh, while that would definitely probably have helped me if I had stayed back in India and maybe worked in one of the northern uh, belt states. But again, as I mentioned, if I was working after that in, say, in IT in somewhere like Bangalore or maybe down south, knowledge of that won't have really helped me in any way. Okay, so this <laughs> this is kind of interesting when you think about your daughter and, yes. and whether she might want to go back to India in the future as a New Zealand Indian person, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, perhaps even working on behalf of the New Zealand government or big corporations. How do you feel about her acquisition of Hindi? Okay, and, so and what's uh, happening there? Mm -hmm. mm. Let me share uh, my experience of my daughter, who is obviously growing up here now. Now here, because English is the official medium of instruction, 
and me and my wife do not share the same mother tongue our oh, mother tongue is hindi my mother tongue is bengali ah. so as a result at home we tend to speak a lot more with her in english ah. than in our own mother tongue of course my, my wife tries to converse with her as much as possible mm. our mother tongue but otherwise most of the time we are actually conversing with her in english and as a result what has happened is over the years she also prefers us to speak to her in english rather than in mother tongue you know mm. uh which is really good of obviously for her because you know she's uh, having most of her conversations in english and all the all the studies so, are in so english so i guess the question school. is is that good for her because we know as you know mm. kids can grow up trilingual no problem at all so mm. is it good for her all this english in the house or do you think it could be better if you were speaking to her in bengali your wife was speaking to her in hindi and she was picking up english in this mm-hmm. very english and saturated environment that we live in what do you think about that uh well if if i uh, compare my own personal experience i would certainly say that uh, the reason why i learned my mother tongue really well bengali was because we had that you know as a formal subject in school at least for 2 years oh, okay. because if i didn't have that obviously my grandparents were there again the advantage which i don't have here we you know i'm our grandparents live with us uh, and uh, there what happened is my grandparents obviously were teaching me mother tongue and my both my grandparents speak bengali but speaking in bengali would have been fine but writing conversations might have been a much more harder stuff if i didn't uh, learn it formally in in school so i would certainly say that from the point of view of learning mother tongue i think some years of formal language learning is particularly important and in this context i would probably also like to cite the example of singapore mm-hmm. although you know my daughter was not taught in the singapore education system but i have a lot of my friends who have been brought up in the singapore education system and there obviously they have a bilingual education system so obviously english is the main medium of instruction but then you have to sort of choose a mother tongue language right. formally mm. so either you choose malay or you choose chinese or you mm. choose tamil mm. or if you're not a tamil uh, speaker then you choose hindi mm-hmm. and uh, sorry how think, many mother tongue languages do they have available in schools do you remember that uh is I'm, it about 5 Uh, th- I think so. They yeah. have they have uh, quite a quite a quite a bit of range out there, uh, but I think again their emphasis is more on learning that mother tongue formally, mm-hmm. and I think that that makes sense actually if if you look at it from the point of view of a kid in a primary school, it's a really good idea for a kid to have a medium of instruction as English, but at the same time uh, formally learn a language which is his or her mother tongue. I mean. Obviously, she's going to pick up the basic words and conversation with us when we are at home. We are talking mm. to her on when she or when she is participating in community events because, mm. uh, and that's why you know we keep her interested in our community events that we have so that you know she has that constant interaction of that language and culture. But again, the thing is, if you are not uh, you know getting that environment, which I'm not too sure. you know whether you're getting it outside Auckland Auckland is is a, is a little bit of you know different thing altogether mm-hmm. in New Zealand if you go yeah, out of Auckland obviously you're not going to get that opportunity for interacting in your you know society and in that cultural environment uh, at at that level that you can do in Auckland so coming back to the point i think what is really important uh, what i feel is important is that probably there should be a you know formal instruction of uh, mother tongue uh, at least in primary language schools and uh, i would also like to add in here that uh, i know from uh, experience of some of my daughter's friends for example one of her very close friend is korean 
and she goes to a Korean language school on weekends. That's right. So we do have resources here, maybe mm. private resources, mm. you know, where we have Japanese schools or Korean schools or other private institutions which are obviously teaching these different languages which are taught in New Zealand. And maybe we can utilize these resources to, you know, think of uh, building up some kind of a mother tongue language policy. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break there and we're going to hit the streets of AUT and ask our students what they think about learning a language. Can you speak another language? Yeah. What language? Uh, Hindi. Awesome. Well, first English, Hindi and Punjabi. Uh, I can speak Punjabi, Hindi, a um, little bit of like country, like the Indian um, languages that are no, actually I can't. No, I can't. Very poor. I want to learn, but I can't. Which language? Oh, just anything. Anything a little bit more interesting than English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> Do you think it's important to be able to speak more than one language? I feel like in this century it probably is because the diversity is so huge. kind of depends because yeah, I feel like it is because we're living in like such a like globalised kind of country and city, so I feel like just to have that knowledge of a different language could be really helpful. That's good to know because you never know where you end up. Do you think um, Tereo Māori should be taught at schools? I think it should be compulsory at primary school because that's when they'll learn the most. Like That's when they'll pick it up and they'll like understand it more. Yes, because it's a native language. I mean, totally it should be. You're in the country yourself. You should know a lot about your like you know, country. So you might be interested to know, Rahul, mm. that... Um, we language teachers mm. um, use something called the communicative approach these mm -hmm. days, and it's been around for a long, long time now, where the main focus of language teaching and learning is to be able to communicate. Yes. And um, not that boring old translation <laughs> grammar approach that they used to teach um, even before I went to school, yes. actually, so it was a long time ago. And um, these days, integrated into communicative language teaching, we also emphasise intercultural competency is mm. part of that and being able to reflect on your own cultural values and to be able to try and imagine standing in the shoes of other people and um, to think about their perspective culturally and linguistically so um, from that perspective I think that language teaching and learning these days if it's done well really gives people the kind of education they mm. need as growing citizens to understand diversity, to be able to work productively with a diverse range of people. And that's so important um, in New Zealand today. Actually, it's important everywhere, yeah. isn't it? And, of course, to be able to work effectively um, in a globalised world. And you'd have some perspectives on that as an economist, I guess. Ah, oh, well, uh, as an economist, uh, I mean, obviously, um, the way I have, I have never used any other languages in teaching economics at school uh, in, in university. But uh, what I do see is that uh, when we have students who are coming from different cultural backgrounds and they're trying to understand what we're trying to teach them in class, obviously, those students who are coming from a medium of instruction, which is not English, they do struggle, particularly when we are talking about uh, uh, short answer questions or essay type questions or things like that. And I think that's where, again, we have another perspective coming in that when we have uh, people coming in from outside New Zealand who already do not have that much competency in English, maybe, you know, we should 
focus a lot more on english for for them for that purpose uh, for example uh, it was quite interesting let me share this uh, experience with you the other day i had uh, gone to a supermarket to just buy something and i was not able to find that stuff on the shelf and there was a chinese gentleman who was running that shop i went and asked him where can i find this he plainly said i can't speak english he, he said he said no english like that and which i found was pretty surprising because you know you would expect that in new zealand almost everybody should be able to at least have a basic conversation in so english. so do you expect that i think that's an interesting point of conversation rahul mm. because um i i think that's kind of the dominant view mm. and i think a lot of people would approach someone who's mm. selling produce in a, in a mm. supermarket or something like that and and have that expectation of them but yeah. But is that completely reasonable these days? And could we bring other communication strategies to bear um, in a situation like that? I guess you still got what you wanted from the superette, did you? <laughs> well, I had to show him a picture on the phone, and probably he was then able to, you know, direct me where it was. But uh, you know, uh, thanks, thanks to the technological age, we can transcend some of those barriers nowadays. But well, yeah, still, I, I, I think you know. Uh, Uh, that that was uh, one of the very interesting things that I noticed, and to me it was a bit surprising, frankly speaking, because I thought they should be having some basic knowledge of English when they're running a shop, at least when you're given the responsibility to. So I mean, we look at um, I think the stats were eighty percent of New Zealanders um, speak only one language, um, and that we've language study across schools and universities has been declining. And I know some courses like Indonesian, I think, was shut down at um, Victoria University where it was taught. Um, but we've got lots of preschool. We've got lots of people arriving into the country, or preschoolers who can um, who grow up in households where there's different languages being taught. I mean, what's it? What's happening here? How can we shift that? And, and why should we shift it? I suppose, Sharon. Well, I guess that's what we're working towards. That really, it's just not equitable to base a whole country's linguistic policies on one language when. Although 80% of the population are or claim to be monolingual in English at the moment, that um, that field, that linguistic field, is changing very, very rapidly. And um, we do have growing... That means 20% of the population actually are multilingual. And most of that multilingualism in New Zealand is as a result of migration. Um, but a small amount of that... Um, multilingualism or claimed multilingualism in New Zealand is due to education which gives me some hope so there are more people claiming to speak Japanese for example in New Zealand than there are Japanese uh, diasporic um, people people that have come from Japan and there are more people that claim to speak French in New Zealand than there are French born people in New Zealand so both those languages and the proficiency in both those languages has come through our New Zealand education system and indeed in the past French and Japanese were the most popular languages in schools um, I think it's just not polite to be able not to be able to speak more than one language and in, in a recent article of course um, our former Prime Minister Helen Clark has said that she thinks she um, didn't gain the position she was looking for in the United Nations um, because of her monolingualism in English. Most of the world is multilingual and it's it's a point of politeness, 
of being able to um, imagine what it's like to speak different languages and be a foreigner in different countries. It's very hard to do those things if you've never had the experience of speaking another language or being in a situation where you couldn't read anything that's on the shelves of the supermarket or something like that. So um, I think we're really shortchanging our children when we give them clear messages that it's okay to be monolingual just because the rest of the world is learning English. And just one other point on that, I wonder if we'd had a more open uh, approach to multilingualism throughout our history if Maori wouldn't have done much better in New Zealand than it has. And I think, um, you know, there's all the awful stories about children being punished for speaking Maori in schools, of being told to speak English only. But in fact, children in our schools are still being told to speak English only and um, to focus on English, to um, leave their mother languages behind. And I think we need a much more enlightened approach to linguistic diversity and ethnic diversity in the country that we are and the country that we are becoming. So what I mean, learning language, what are those, what are those proven benefits that, that we can gain through moving this forward? Clearly other countries, you look at Singapore, has made a conscious decision to be multilingual. So what are, um, from you, I first Sharon and, and then maybe I will switch to Rahul. So there are many um, models of multilingual education systems and of course the European model is one of the most prevalent. Um, Many of the children coming out of European education systems are uh, proficient in at least three languages. So there's no reason why that can't happen elsewhere. That's also the case, in fact Rahul is is an example of that, trilingual. So I've already spoken a little bit about the need for people to be more understanding about ethnic and linguistic um, difference and to be able to work productively with that and to be reflexive about their own culture and language. And another thing is, of course, if you learn more than one language, you see the world from more than one point of view and you understand that it is possible to see things from different perspectives whereas that's quite a hard thing for monolingual people, I suggest. Um, Also, of course, learning one language teaches you things about how your own language is um, organised. It uh, promotes literacy in more than one language, and when we see in New Zealand the emphasis on literacy and numeracy, In classes where we've been doing research, we've seen that kids learning one language transfer those skills over to the other language, and I think we'd have much richer approaches to literacy if there was a more organised approach to teaching more than one language in schools. And what about you, Rahul? You know, I mean, you looking um, broadly at trade, I mean, who are our big trading partners, and how can we understand those relationships more? Well, from the point of view of trade and business, obviously right now China is our biggest trading partner and then obviously we have uh, Australia. And then we have most of the countries with whom New Zealand currently has a trade agreement, working free trade agreement, uh, apart perhaps from the exception of the US and the EU. Uh, and uh, there are quite a, quite a few Southeast Asian countries which are among our top 10 trading partners. Malaysia, for example, Singapore, for example, is among them. Uh, so certainly from the point of view of doing business, uh, it would be a good idea if you know they can have a working um, idea about language uh, spoken in those major trading partner countries. 
Uh, for example, um, uh, the other day I was at a forum where I came across a New Zealander who has owned some farms in India, a couple of miles away from the capital. Uh, that is mainly a Hindi-speaking belt. Uh, obviously, I would believe that most of his employer, uh, employees are able to speak and converse with him in English. But still, being a predominantly Hindi-speaking belt, I think if he has a good working knowledge of Hindi, which I believe he has by now, he should be, uh, you know, he will be obviously much easily easier acceptable from his employees and obviously it will give a you know give him a different perspective in the way and from where his employees come from uh, so that's obviously just one example in terms of you know uh, having an advantage uh, in terms of language uh, also um, uh, personally from the point of view of looking into the future and here i'm looking at my daughter now she's obviously not learning maori or uh, mandarin formally at school but what I'm really fascinated uh, is the enthusiasm she's actually showing at uh, year three in learning those uh, that those different things. Uh, I mean, the other day she was so excited to show me her name in Chinese. And then I told her, OK, you know, find out how, how, how my, I would write my name in Chinese. And I think these, these are some very, you know, small but very simple steps towards making them you know embrace that cultural diversity which Auckland is all about and which I absolutely love and I think multicultural diversity is is something which uh, is definitely going to be even more for the years to come so from the point of view of my daughter and from what I would like to say is I would certainly like her to learn if possible uh, Maori and maybe some work uh, a little bit of working language of Mandarin as well but at the same time, the point I made earlier, what I'm more worried is that she may not become proficient in her mother tongue simply because me and my wife both are working full time here. We don't have enough time for her to, uh, for us to, you know, actually give her attention to learn the mother tongue more formally at home. That's not possible. And obviously her grandparents are not staying with her. So she's not going to get that uh, approach to mother tongue, which we got uh, when we were in India. Maybe some other Indian families out here are still getting it. Uh, uh, so in that respect, I think uh, following the Singapore model, maybe it might be a good idea to sort of have maybe a couple of years of that mother tongue language instruction in schools so that, you know, students uh, become more fluent in their mother tongue. And that, that should obviously also have positive spillovers from the business point of view in the near future. Okay. And Rahul, I think you've picked up on a really important point that... Um, some of our recent language policies have missed. And um, that's the point that for busy working families, yes. giving that kind of structure and instruction even um, around the mother tongue isn't always straightforward. And um, if we don't integrate languages into the education system, we're kind of leaving things up to chance. Yes. I mean, some people are amazing and they start community language schools and put a lot of effort into them. And in fact, you might be interested to know that the Hindi community has done this um, and are currently lobbying the government to have Hindi um, integrated as a subject language in New Zealand schools. But... Um, for example, in the Pacific Languages Plan that the Ministry um, released a few years ago, all the emphasis was put on families and communities keeping languages alive mm. for young people. But it's not necessarily realistic when people are working so hard just to keep their heads above bo yes. water, actually. Yeah, yeah, so I think integrating languages into the education system is vital. 
Well, I think we might wrap it up there. Plenty of food for thought. Um, um, hopefully, maybe some of those people who are in decision-making positions, um, New Zealand government, um, hopefully they're, maybe they're listening or we'll take some of these on board. It's, thank you very much for um, your perspective, Rahul. Um, thank you, Emma. Personal. And um, Sharon, for bringing your expertise to the table. Can I just mention, because you mentioned Indonesian before, um, the AUT has just launched an Indonesian centre and they are teaching Indonesian language. Yay. Go AUT. Thanks for that, guys. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We hoped you learned something. Once again, if you have any questions you'd like to see featured in future episodes, you can reach us with the hashtag AskAUT. And you can also find AUT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and all other social networks. See you next time. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You would what does Marcellus Wallace look like? What's the deal with that? What's the matter with me, what? baby? What's the matter with you? Speak English and what? How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? I say who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on first. What's the deal with airplane peanuts? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? At this point, I'm too afraid to ask. <laughs>